Ambition Feed. Hi, I'm Zoe Conn and this is Feedback, the podcast that looks at what's been going on this month on Ambition Feed. This month's theme is finding and keeping great staff, and we've seen loads of great discussion about recruitment and retention. Today we'll be talking about episode three of Ambition Feed, so you'll get the most out of this if you've listened to that one first. For this episode, we're in our London offices and I'm joined by two experts for Ambition School Leadership, Hannah Jepson and Stephen Jones. Hi Hannah and Stephen. Hi Zoe. Hi. Could you both introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do here at Ambition? Yeah, sure. So I'm Hannah Jepson. I'm the Director of Assessment and Selection um, here at Ambition School Leadership. And what that means is that my team have responsibility for all the design and delivery of our selective processes. So we're really ensuring that we get really quality candidates for all of our selective programmes and doing all of the work behind the scenes to make sure that happens. And um, my name's Stephen Jones. I head the school partnerships function across the south. Uh, my teams work closely with individual schools and trusts and teacher school alliances to help them identify their leadership development needs and then to create solutions which help meet those needs. This month we're talking about how leaders can find and keep the best staff. Our podcast guests were Dan Morrow, the CEO of Woodland Academy Trust, and Aisha Raymond, Deputy Head at Breton and Primary, and they chatted about their approaches to recruitment and retention. Stephen, Dan and Aisha talk a lot about what staff want and how good leaders can retain them. What do you make of their approaches? So ultimately, I think recruitment is a retention issue. Um, The reputation of the profession is very much a result of how staff feel within it. I think new graduates demand more than they ever have, and we must be able to compete with other sectors. Our mission must be very much at the heart of of what we do and the, the main attraction for people to come into the sector but not an excuse for poor management uh, and as a result, poor staff well-being. Um, I really liked Aisha's comments regarding marking in relation to workload. Um, she was asking herself, who, who am I doing this for? Ultimately, her focus was on making a decision that was in the best interest of the students. I think staff at all levels really need to question bureaucratic practice and think about why am I doing this? Is this in the best interest of students? I think keeping great staff is something that all leaders play a a role in. Um, CEOs like Dan set top-level policies and expectations, but research shows that the most influential factor in staff retention is both great line management and the opportunities to grow and develop. And therefore, leaders at all levels, from NQT mentors through to middle leaders and senior leadership teams, play a massive part in this. Hannah, what struck you most about Dan and Aisha's conversation? Dan Dan brought up moral purpose as a key focus for him. I really liked hearing about how Dan makes this really integral to his selection processes and how without seeing this in a candidate, he'd find it really difficult to invite them to work at his trust, which really resonates with me. It's why I work where I do, and for us at Ambition School Leadership, we want to work with and support people who show us absolutely and without question that their values align with ours. Dan talked about recruiting staff based on their heart, and he said that you can train the head. I think there's definitely some truth in that and likewise for us when we're making decisions for our selective programmes, we're not only looking for more purpose and we're not saying that person isn't going to go on to be a great teacher, but if we haven't seen that razor sharp focus on moral purpose then we're unlikely to accept them onto our programmes. Moral purpose is obviously crucial to Ambition School Leadership's work and it's what we look for in the leaders who we recruit, as you say Hannah, but how do you actually go about identifying moral purpose? And then how important is that moral purpose to great school leaders? Like Dan said, uh, and like Stephen said just before, it all comes down to the why. So why we do what we do. 
the how and the what are vital, but you have to start with why for me. Um, moral purpose is, is that fire that burns in you every morning you walk into school. It's, it's the thing that happens when you witness injustice. It's about having that unrelenting drive to make a difference to the lives of those people who face disadvantage. It's about social justice. It's about equality of opportunity and it's about never giving up on that philosophy. I think it's really important for leaders to have that and for them to be unapologetic about that to their staff, um, their students and for the communities they serve. Of course, it takes more than that to be a great leader, but it's a crucial baseline without which the challenges of school leadership will get to you. We hear from our school leaders there are difficult decisions to be made and there are easy but wrong options which you can take. And there are times when you're not sure which way to turn. But with moral purpose and a network of people who have that same sort of fire, it'll be easier and you'll be able to look anyone in the eye and know that you did everything you could do to fight for what you knew was right. Stephen, have you got anything else to add on that theme of moral purpose and does it resonate in the conversations that you're having daily with our school partners? Yeah, it absolutely does. I think um, Hannah really summed up well the kind of Simon Sinek's golden circles, starting with the why. I think sometimes we have a tendency to, to skip out the middle bit, so to skip out the how we get to the action. Um, and actually within within schools and within trust, when I see it working really well and people identifying talent and, and looking at succession plan planning, it's, it's as important that they're focusing on how someone gets to the decision that they eventually get to, as opposed to just the decision in isolation. Stephen, retention is a live issue, and we've heard about many creative responses to it in both Dan and Aisha's conversation, and the wider debate on Twitter. From your experience working with leaders, what can they do to effectively keep great staff? So I think there are some really clear points that we need to address, both at the school level uh, that Aisha and Dan talked about, uh, and then at system level in order to improve improve retention. Um, we know that we have a real issue with many NQTs um, leaving the profession within within five years. Depending on what study you read, uh, you know over a third of NQTs dropping off within the first five years of qualifying. Uh, we know we have an issue with returnees. Um, many, many people who've gone away to have families not wanted to come back to the profession due to the kind of perceived lack of flexibility and high workload. Um, we also have a real issue with progression through the system, progression into headship, uh, but also progression of a, a really high quality, diverse talent pool lower down in the system, not making that move or being supported to make that move into senior leadership positions. I think there's some real positivity in what's happening in the sector at the moment with the focus on workload, things like the workload charter that's been discussed from the DfE, um, and then and then within individual kind of school approaches that Aisha and Dan mentioned. But ultimately, it's going to be high quality school leaders, which will ensure both both kind of system approaches and school initiatives are effective. So you've spoken about retention, but I'm interested to get to the bottom of how you make sure you're selecting the right people. Hannah, how can leaders find great staff? So. In assessment and selection we talk about having a really clear understanding of what you're looking for and for that to be based on research and data rather than gut or instinct. We know that values are critical but you also need to have analysed and understood what competencies your staff need to have in order to ultimately achieve great outcomes for students in your context. So it's about undertaking really rigorous job analysis procedures, really understanding what it is about that job that means, let's say, personal drive, for example, is critical to its success and knowing what level of that competency you need to see in order to, to make an offer to that candidate. It's about creating a competency framework from which everyone can work, that everyone understands and where the behaviours increase in sophistication at each level of leadership. 
about having something that is used throughout the leadership journey and that's embedded within your talent management processes from selection right the way through to, to development. And it's about making sure you're using it to drive informed and objective decisions at all times. That way you're mitigating uh, for bias, both conscious and unconscious, which we know is a real issue in selection. And have you seen any good examples of great selection of staff? Yeah, I know the best selection processes I've seen have a really clear method, a framework from which to select objectively, some validated selection methods, so something like a work sample exercise that's been tested and piloted. And um, to Stephen's point, a diverse selection panel. That is, for me, absolutely integral. Um, as Stephen said, now more than ever, we need to be casting our net really wide to find the very best teachers. But we need those teachers to feel that they can come be themselves at work, because we know that if you can be yourself, you're more likely to be better at your job. And so showing them from the start that diversity inclusion is really core, I think is really important. Stephen, can you offer any examples that speak to Hannah's point there? For me, like having worked cross sector, I, I think there are some commonalities in, in some things that for me are, are really important in any selection process. Uh, from the best things I've seen, I think you need to be clear when you're recruiting that selection is a two-way thing and that the process should allow a candidate to both explore what it is you're, you're all about, uh, but also what, what it is that you're going to offer them and for, for both the employer to be able to do the same. I think when I've recruited people myself, when I've seen that in different sectors, there's something about getting the strong sense of identity across about your, your school or your, your organisation. Um, so that you're quite clear on what you're looking for and what that kind of I think it comes back to both moral purpose, you know, why would you want to work in education in the first place, but also vision and values. Um, and I think with the growth of, of the trust sector, we see trusts that have very specific vision and values around their trust and are really proud of that. And I think that's really important for kind of identifying the kind of staff that you want. On Ambition Feed this month, we've also seen a number of blogs, including one by Hannah Turbot, the co-founder of the Shared Headship Network. Do you think flexible working can benefit recruitment and retention? Stephen, we'll come to you first. So flexible working doesn't on its own address the issues that the job needs to be doable within set working hours. Dan's strategies on giving well-being days and paid leave for parent leave show that flexible working comes from a flexible approach to leadership. It's not just about job sharing or working a five-day week in four days. I think that flexible working, it, it comes back to something I said earlier on about those kind of points that we need to address in education where people are leaving. It's an issue both for people coming back into the profession, but actually very much for new graduates looking to come into teaching. Um, we have to be realistic about how flexible we can be. You know, the reality is you can't necessarily have agile working that you might get in some organisations in a school because it just wouldn't work with the format of the way schools need to work. But there is something about leaders being flexible in their approach to, to their staff's needs and responding to that and have a system to respond to that. Hannah, have you got any thoughts on that flexible working concept and how it can work in a school context? Yeah, so flexible working tends to be taken up by people with childcare responsibilities. And so any policy that makes the workforce more representative of the population should, should definitely be pursued. I recently uh, attended an Equality and Diversity Roundtable at the Department for Education and there I met the co-founders of the Maternity Teacher Paternity Teacher Project. Um, and they're working with people who are taking maternity and paternity leave and schools to ensure that those people are getting a fair chance at promotions and development opportunities and to ensure that maternity leave and paternity leave doesn't act as a barrier to career progression. And so I think, um, as Stephen said, it isn't, it isn't a fix-all, but I think in order to retain staff, school leaders need, need to be really aware of that. That's all we've got time for in this episode of Feedback. Thank you to Stephen and Hannah. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks. Don't forget, you can share your tips and thoughts about how you make sure your team is thriving online. 
Search for Ambition Feed on Facebook or find us at hashtag Ambition Feed on Twitter. Next month, we'll be taking a look at school culture and ethos. Until then, head over to ambitionschoolleadership.org.uk slash feed for more information. Bye for now.